I'm Mark Sheldon, and this is The Road to Health, a podcast from Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Rhode Island. We're in the last few days of Black History Month, and during this time, we often look back on and celebrate Black leaders from the past. But it's just as important to think about future leadership. Needed change can only happen when representation exists in the rooms where decisions are being made. Today, on this episode, we hear from a Rhode Island leader who's building a pipeline of leaders of color for positions of influence throughout the state, Angie bannerman Okoma. Angie is the Vice President and Executive Director of the Equity Leadership Initiative, or ELI, at the Rhode Island Foundation. She sat down with Jenny Batista Roberti, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Rhode Island. They talked about all of the great work that ELI is doing to strengthen the leadership landscape in the Ocean State. Angie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jenny, for having me here today. We'll get started right away. I'm really excited to have you here this morning to talk a little bit about the great work that you're doing at the Rhode Island Foundation. And I'll take us back to 2021 when the Rhode Island Foundation launched the Equity Leadership Initiative, specifically aimed at building a pipeline of leaders of color in positions of influence in Rhode Island. Could you share more about the genesis of the Equity Leadership Initiative? Sure. So I joined the team at the Rhode Island Foundation in 2020, and I think all of us globally were having this gut check at home. Not only were we home during a pandemic, um, but we were witnessing the civil and um, racial unrest in this country. And like many organizations, the Rhode Island Foundation was looking at ways in which they can kind of deepen their commitment to racial inequities and social justice in the country. And so at that time, um, the Board of Governors approved a $8.5 million investment to deepen its commitment to equity above and beyond the work that they'd been doing in the community. And so what that meant was investing in areas that we could deepen our commitment to and also really looking at the leadership in our state. Equity leadership was born as a result of looking at the various leaders in our state and looking at how can we build a pipeline of leaders of color. Um, we all have that, you know, four or five individuals who have different backgrounds that we call on and we wanted, we knew that we had deepened talent in this state that was just, you know, we need to kind of really support and elevate them, utilizing the platform and building community amongst other leaders of color at the Rhode Island Foundation. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And I want to know just a little bit more about the Equity Leadership Initiative. I understand you're now in your third year. Uh, What can you tell us about the latest cohort and how is this program helping them to create the future of Rhode Island across all different sectors? Sure. So Equity Leadership Initiative is a 12-month leadership program where applicants apply and we select generally a pool of 30 applicants. And those applicants come from a variety of backgrounds. One of the things, the two requirements to be um, considered for the Equity Leadership Initiative, one is that you are a Rhode Island resident and the second is you identify as a person of color. And so with those, we have people from government, nonprofit, all across the state, from Newport to Woonsocket. Um, and we ask people to tell us ways in which they think the Rhode Island Foundation's leadership program can support them and ways in which they've been leaning into their work in equity as well, too. And so you don't necessarily have to be a person who's a DEI practitioner, but really as a person who's a personal and perhaps professional commitment to racial equity and social justice and want to build community around that as well, too. And so as part of that 12-month initiative, we begin with having various sessions each month with various topics from you know navigating predominantly white spaces as people of color to emotional intelligence to building your brand and to be able to communicate your story 
and psychological safety as well, too. And so each month we have a different speaker. And then six months out of the program, each person is paired with an executive coach that they meet with twice a month. Um, one of the things that I don't lead with, but I should lead with, is that this is all free for the 30 or so applicants of Equity Leadership Initiative. One of the things that we do do that is not necessarily talked about is really building community. And so these leaders get to know each other. They get to build each other um, up. And what I often tell the leaders on their first session is that this is their golf course to make sure that they utilize the opportunities of this network. And it's been incredible to see within just three cohorts how the members are not only see each other and connect with each other during the sessions each month, but also um, outside of sessions. They go out, a couple of them went out to brunch this week. You know, some of them are getting together for social for all three cohorts. They're referring each other for jobs. They're supporting each other to various trials and tribulations of life, work, and everything in between. And so it is incredible with just three years and almost 100 equity leadership members, the tremendous amount of social capital they built amongst each other. Just to shift gears a little bit, I want to talk about the RI Life Index, which is a collaboration with Brown University. And that index consistently reveals that communities of color and areas with high child poverty face significant barriers to social determinants of health. But how can lawmakers and the community at large mitigate these inequities? Well, first, thanks to Blue Cross Blue Shield for leading this effort over a number of years and really looking at health on a, a, on a larger scale in our state of Rhode Island. I commend Blue Cross for really taking a look at how do we get access to the data, particularly de- diving deeper and oversampling our historically vulnerable communities as well to those who are older adults, those who are dis- disabled, and those who um, come from historically mar- marginalized backgrounds. I think this data has been invaluable to our state as well, too. So thank you to Blue Cross for your leadership. And it's been an incredible honor to work, sit on the table with others from various sectors to look at this data. And, you know, Blue Cross has been a true partner in really looking at how can we make it better in every year. And so I think lawmakers, one, first of all, should utilize the Rhode Island Life Index to really look at how can we make key policy decisions based upon the results of that. You know, I had a, one of the former medical directors when I was at the Department of Health used to always say, um, what get measured gets done. And so Blue Cross has done the measuring and we really, it is, there are some clear indicators that we need to move on in terms of food insecurity, in terms of housing insecurity, um, which is another area that Blue Cross Blue Shield has really led the charge on and really making deep commitments and investments on housing. I would say in addition to that, we have to really look at economic security. The Rhode Island Foundation, in about over a little, a little over a year ago, did an, a similar report on looking at businesses owned by the BIPOC community. Um, we commissioned a $150,000 study to really look at growing and supporting businesses owned by people of color in the state of Rhode Island. And so the report really, you know, the business assessment really looked at the white population of Rhode Island compared to the black population of, of Rhode Island and really looked at, you know, how businesses grow. And, you know, the numbers, again, there show that um, while there is nearly white population declined by 4% of Rhode Island, while all the ethnic groups increased by 27%. And so if you're looking at growth and trajectory, we really need to look at businesses owned by this population, how we can continue to support their growth and development. And so 70% of the state's 21,000 businesses are owned by people who identify as BIPOC, where nationally 8 
16.3% of businesses are BIPOC-owned. So it looks like Rhode Island has a long way to go to really looking at the fastest growing demographic in our state and looking at how we can support those businesses as well, too. You know, we know that economics plays a big factor in our health, but also economic security and our wealth as well, too. And so really looking at how we can utilize the results of this report that was produced last year as an example of ways in which the state can continue to look at the future and also how do we make wise investments to support business owners. Great. Thank you so much for providing some additional information and such a really powerful tool and providing some tangible ways for uh, the community and lawmakers to play a role in moving the needle there. And thinking about equity, we see that it's really critical and it's everywhere. And in whether it's healthcare, higher education, as two examples, we see how systems and structures have been historically built to exclude. How can we combat bias in institutions that historically lacked equity and had ties to systemic racism. So I think for far too long, we've addressed these symptoms um, rather than the root causes of the problems. In public health, we call that moving upstream. And so I think we really need to look at the systemic changes that need to be addressed. Some of those, some of the things that we've been doing at the Rhode Island Foundation is, yes, we've, we've support a number of things, but with the $8.5 million that I mentioned earlier, we invest $2.3 million specifically focused on racial equity and social justice grants. And those grants were announced last year in April. The funding was to dismantle causes of systemic racism impact that impact historically marginalized communities in our state. Priority was given to organizations that are either, were either that are either led by people of color or organizations who engage and grounded in these communities who are doing this work as well too. So for we funded six nonprofits over the course of two years, two point two million dollars, and really the focus of those nonprofits and their work is to really look at systemic changes. And so, for example, one of the grantees is Prisoner Reentry Campus. And the support was really looking at level and planning field in a criminal justice system by providing um, access to post-secondary education. You know, we can't continue to fund the systems of the problem and think that we're going to get, you know, address the issues. And we also understand, we, we should understand that a lot of these systemic issues have been around for, you know, centuries. And so the investments that we're making a little, and it's, it's, it's going to make sure that we have an impact, but we need everyone working together to make sure that we address the systemic changes in our state of Rhode Island. And so we have to invest and also continue to invest in some of these things to make sure that we're having a good impact. And so the Racial Equity Social Justice Grant is you know, going to give us some insight into you know, this work and how we can do more of that work um, possibly in the future to address systemic inequities. Great. Thank you so much, Angie. And I think it's so important to be really intentional in that founding that you're prov- in that funding that you're providing because being able to provide those resources to the organizations that are doing that really really important work is going to be really important in getting things moving ahead and and being able to change because it's a big it's a big mountain to climb and there's a lot of work to do but you are all such great leaders in this space and and kind of making room for for that So recognizing that true health equity requires the representation of community lived experiences and leadership, how do initiatives like the Equity Leadership Initiative reshape the leadership landscapes of these institutions? 
You know, first of all, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about um, how, you know, developing the pipeline was incredible um, because we need to have a seat at the table. And, you know, too often we heard that there aren't enough applicants of color when we're applying these positions or they can't identify applicants or they're not skilled enough. And we know that that is an inaccurate. Um, one of the best things that I've appreciated as part of equity leadership is getting to meet all the incredible people in our state who identify as people of color and the talent that they possess. You know, every year the most difficult aspect of the Equity Leadership Initiative for me personally is really selecting the final applicants because it, I want everybody to be part of the program. And so what Equity Leadership Initiative does is utilizes the platform of Renown Foundation to build increase their visibility and also provides the support that is essential for them. You know, in the three years that we've had Equity Leadership Initiative, um, people have gotten promoted. We have 33% of the cohort members have either gotten promoted, 40% have attained a new job. Um, We had about 60% accept new positions, not only within their workforce, but also on boards and commissions. And that's another area where we often see a lack of um, uh, representation at the table. You know, I go back to the first black female who ran for president, Shirley Chisholm, who said, if they're, um, you don't, they don't give you a seat at the table, you bring a folding chair, right? And so equity leadership is not only bringing a folding chair, um, the chair is there at the table for all of us. And we need to make sure that the you know, table, that we make room for everybody. And so equity leadership does that. It, you know, I have a number of people who email me almost weekly. Hey, I have this position, you know, do you mind sharing with your leader? members. I have this event, you know, would they be interested in coming? And so it is really good to see that people are actually reaching out to um, recruit um, leaders, you know, equity leadership members to attend various events, to get their opinion for boards and commissions, for job opportunities. And that's how we really make a difference uh, by making sure that, you know, we have representation in all sectors. And I think that's one of the unique aspects of Equity Leadership Initiative is that people are walking, working all sectors, whether it be government, nonprofit, profit. And we have two current equity leadership members who work right here at Blue Cross Blue Shield. So that's really nice to see that we have representation across the board. And it really, you can really see the impact of that within the cohort and networking sessions. You know, we have a communication channel and almost every day um, the leaders are talking anything from like, you know, getting their kids access to a school to refer for, you know, medical provider to one person who's starting their real estate business and looking for client referrals. It is literally their network and their community and it's extended outward uh, out from that as well, too. Yeah. And that social capital is just so, so important for their growth. And I think of, you know, when companies have these leadership positions available and it's like, well, where do I find these folks? It's like you have over, you know, close to 100 folks Mm -hmm. who could be like, hey, I have this list of amazing, amazing leaders of color. Um, So there's no shortage of us um, in the state for sure. Absolutely not. And we are towards the end of Black History Month in 2024. What victories do we celebrate? What challenges do you see that lie ahead? I think we have a lot of victories to celebrate. You know, we've seen a lot of firsts more recently. I'd like to see less firsts and more seconds and thirds. I think we have made some progress in education and in access to education or higher education. I think we have a lot. I think the pandemic not only disproportionately impacted historically marginalized communities, but we see the inequities widened as well, too. So while we had this um, pandemic that was, you, you call it two pandemics, right, that was impacting historically marginalized communities and often people who are the frontline workers who were, you know, serving the population, 
We see the in, in economic inequalities, the housing inequalities. And so one of the things I think we're not talking and focusing on enough is how do we repair the harm done by the pandemic and make the investments necessary? So they were, you know, Black Americans were, you know, further behind. I mean, let's say education and building businesses. You know, we saw a lot of businesses close. And so what did that do for businesses in Rhode Island, Black businesses particularly? Um, what did that do for the educational inequalities of, you know, Black students? And knowing that, you know, we were behind the ball before the pandemic and what the pandemic did, at, you know, to the, the these communities, what are we doing to invest and make sure that we are, are supporting these communities moving forward as well, too? And so I think those are the things that we need to look forward and not, um, I think we're oftentimes too quick to say the pandemic is over, but the impact of the pandemic, I think we're just beginning to see the impact lingering on, particularly social emotionally as well, too. Yeah, and it's it's very it's very exhausting, and I think it's really important to just kind of reflect on how far we've come and and see that we still have those challenges ahead, but kind of not losing course of of what we have been able to accomplish. So good to kind of have both of those mm-hmm. perspectives as we do this work. So I, we got to hear about the Equity Leadership Initiative. Can you share more on on how folks can get involved? When is your next? cycle for applications? Um, how can folks just in general support the work of the initiative? Sure. So first, we have information on our website about the equity leadership application. We're scheduled to launch this coming summer, the new application period, um, right when the current cohort graduates as well, too. But people should feel free to reach out to me or my colleague, Lisa Maddox, who works closely with me for the Equity Leadership Initiative. Interestingly enough, people ask about ELI, the Equity Leadership Initiative, throughout the year. And so we have a mailing list that we generate. And so when we do launch the application, we normally do a press release, which is disseminated. We also send an email to the previous applicants, and we have this amazing alumni network of ELI applicants who literally, you know, I, I was speaking to one last week. He's like, I have two friends who I'm already recommended to the current leadership initiative. You know, I'm really grateful for the first cohort who trusted us in something that we were doing and for the first cohort. But each and every cohort since then have been amazing ambassadors for the program. And so when we have information sessions, the equity leadership members, often after I do a little bit of overview about the equity leadership initiative, they tell about their experience. And I always say that I didn't pay them to say what they do say. <laughs> um, and then you see them on various social medias talking about their their experiences with Equity Leadership Initiative as well, too. So reach out to me directly um, on the website and we'll make sure that you, we get the information to you when the press release is launched in the application period in the summer of this year. Awesome. Thank you so much, Angie. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today before we close? No, thank you for having me today. You know, I'm really excited to be um, here on this um, podcast today and really talking about, you know, Rhode Island excites me because we're really small and that we can do a lot. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be able to lead an initiative like Equity Leadership Initiative and the impact that we've had. And I think it's between partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield and other organizations as a result of that. And so, you know, let's keep working together to improve our state and to make sure that we include people of color in that as well, too. Great. Thank you so much, Angie. It's great to have you here. Thank you Hope for to having see you me. Soon. Absolutely. The Road to Health is a podcast presented by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Rhode Island. It's hosted and produced by me, Mark Sheldon, and Mason Emma is our sound engineer, with additional support from David Montalvo.
like to thank our guest, Angie Bannerman Okoma, Vice President and Executive Director at Equity Leadership Initiative at the Rhode Island Foundation, as well as my guest co-host, Jenny Batisa Roberby. More information about the Rhode Island Foundation and the Equity Leadership Initiative is in our show notes. Be healthy, be well, and keep your eyes on the road.